The Southern Baptist voted this week to stress that members of their churches should be born again. Does this mean churches will trim their roles? And today a group filed a stay to stop same-sex marriages from beginning this month in California. We'll ask one of their attorneys why California should hold off until the people vote. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. We'll abide by the court's decision. That doesn't mean I have to agree with it. President Bush isn't any too happy with the Supreme Court's ruling today. The court ruled uh, that foreign terrorist suspects who are being held at Guantanamo Bay get their day in court, civilian court. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in this segment. But first, there's a very special effort taking place uh, at our flagship station, KCBI, today. It's called the Days of Compassion. And it's all about helping children who really need our help to continue to participate in this. We're holding it open. You can call uh, 888-886-8848 or go to kcbi.org. We're going to be joining KCBI in just a moment. But the Southern Baptist Convention wrapped up last night. We've been talking about it this week. The big story coming out of this year's uh, meeting is that Southern Baptists voted to encourage something called regenerate membership. And it really means making sure your members are saved. What does this mean for the church as a whole, for the Southern Baptist Convention? Dr. Johnson uh, interviewed a pastor who has been pushing this for a long time. We'll air that interview a little bit later in the program. Also, same-sex marriages are set to begin June 16th in California, unless our guest on today's program is successful in getting that stopped. We're going to talk with Steve Crampton from Liberty Council about just what it would it mean if same-sex couples begin to marry in California, marry for five months, and then the state votes to amend their constitution to define marriage between one man and one woman. It sounds pretty chaotic to me, and it could have some major repercussions on the state. Again, I want to give that number for Compassion International. We'll talk about it in just a moment, but the number is 888-886-8848 or go to kcbi.org to sponsor a child. Uh, But I want to get to the story. The Supreme Court has ruled against the administration, the Bush administration, when it comes to detainees being held at Guantanamo Bay. Here's the report. In a 5-4 to four ruling written by Justice Anthony Kennedy, the high court said that foreign terrorist suspects have constitutional rights that allow them to challenge their detention in court. It is the third time the high court has rejected administration contentions related to its treatment of prisoners who are being held indefinitely and without charges at Guantanamo Bay. 
There's no indication if the ruling will mean quick hearings for any of the roughly 270 detainees who've been classified as enemy combatants. Jerry Bodlander, Washington. Bush administration uh, will probably try to get Congress to pass something. This is the third setback in court uh, since 2004 over the government's treatment of prisoners who are being held there without charges at uh, the naval base at uh, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting when you think about the 4,000 calorie a day diets they get, uh, the fact that they're all issued Korans, uh, that they're able to... uh, freely practice their religion there. If they're on good behavior, they can have as much as 14 hours a day of time to exercise. There's a fully equipped library, and the weather's beautiful. Uh, certainly, it's no day uh, in the park uh, being a prisoner at Guantanamo Bay, but remember, these are terrorist suspects. Jeff Adicott, who is the director of the Center for Terrorism Law at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas, says that the Supreme Court has ruled on this and that this law is is intended for use against wartime enemy nations, and it doesn't apply to the detainees, in his opinion. What the United States has been doing since 9-11 is we've been using the law of war, which was written and designed when one nation goes to war against another nation. We've been using that law of war against a non-nation, which is the al-Qaeda network, and that's been the problem. That's the problem, but things have changed uh, because al-Qaeda acts as if it's at war against the United States, and it's a very dangerous enemy. And uh, we have to remember that we haven't had another terrorist attack on the United States since 9-11. The fact that a lot of these thugs are locked up in Guantanamo Bay could be one of the reasons. Again, though, Jeff Adicott, the director of the Center for Terrorism at St. Mary's University, San Antonio, and again talking about this ruling, uh, here's his thoughts on the matter. The question before the federal judge is going to be, is there enough evidence to determine that you are, in fact, an unlawful enemy combatant? If you are, then we can detain you indefinitely. If you're not, then we must either charge you with a crime or release you. So there may be some trials, or, again, as I said, uh, the Bush administration may pressure Congress to pass some sort of a law to uh, allow those detainees to stay. That's a big election issue. There are some candidates who want to close Guantanamo Bay. In fact, I think uh, all three of them have, I'm sorry, both of them have intimated that they would like to do so. Uh, But uh, the question is, where do you keep these people? Do you bring them to the United States for trial? And that's what a lot of people in the Bush administration are worried about. President Bush pointed out uh, that the court was deeply divided. This was a five to four ruling. I strongly agree with those who dissented that uh, and their dissent was based upon their serious concerns about U.S. national security. This is what Chief Justice John Roberts said in the dissent. He criticized his colleagues for striking down this, and he said this is the most generous set of procedural protections ever afforded aliens detained out of the country as uh, enemy combatants. So he's really saying they don't have it so bad and we need to keep them locked up. But uh, he was on the side of the four who uh, dissented, and so uh, we're going to have to see what comes of this. Michael Ratner, president of the Center for Constitutional Rights, he agrees with the ACLU. We got a press release from them today, too, saying this is a huge victory. I just think it's the most critical decision we've won in years and hopefully begins to to end, really, the excesses of the so-called war on terror of this administration. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, on another day, we'll get your opinion on this. But right now, we're going to go over to KCBI to Rob Ryan to talk about what's been going on there the last couple of days, these days of compassion. We are looking at over 300 children already having been sponsored in this campaign. Rob, are you there? Yes, Penna. Thanks so much. We appreciate uh, you allowing us to have some time on uh, Jerry Johnson Live today to to just have one more push at the end of this uh, two-day uh, campaign that we've had to try to get uh, sponsorships for children around the world. Twenty-five countries represented, and these children are needing uh, sponsors to step up and uh, make a phone call. Let me give the number real quick, 888 888- 886-8848. In the studio with me today is uh, Dave and Jocelyn. They're from Compassion International, and they're here to, uh, well, just to spur you along, uh, to give you encouragement, first of all, that you can be encouraged to do this. It's not hard. It uh, doesn't take a lot of your time when you make the phone call, and you'll be blessed by it. So, uh, Dave and uh, Jocelyn, this is your last time to uh, kind of get a word or two in before we have to close this down for these two days of, uh, we call them Days of Compassion here at KCBI. And by the way, those of you who have tuned in to uh, KSYE and KCRN, uh, you have the opportunity to be a part of this as well. Uh, you can call this number, 888-886-8848, and you can be a part of Days of Compassion as well. Compassion International is a a child relief organization that's been in existence since 1952, started in the aftermath of the Korean War. And uh, what a wonderful organization it really is, too, as uh, you partner together with Compassion. They work in, uh, as, uh, as Rob said, 25 developing nations around the world. Every Compassion project that uh, has children in it is uh, connected with a local church. There is a pastor. There's a congregation on the ground. They know how best to meet the needs of that community. And for your sponsorship of just $32 a month, you can make a tremendous impact in the life of a child. Dave, can I yes. jump in here? I'd like to ask you, um, what exactly does the $32 a month buy? Because I, uh, you know, I know that people love to know where their money is going. Well, yeah, and especially these days when we're paying so much for gas and everything else, you want to make sure that you're getting the uh, you're getting the return on your investment. Your $32 a month pays for the physical needs of your child, whether it's uh, and in each case it might be a little bit different, but uh, generally it's food, it's clothing, it's medical attention, it's educational assistance, whatever that means in the local community. It's uh it's training classes even for the parents and family members of that child. And then, Jocelyn, not only do we, does compassion take care of the uh, the physical needs of a child, but meets their spiritual and emotional needs as well. Absolutely. And Penna, it, we're so excited at Compassion because in this last year, over 100,000 children made first-time decisions for Jesus Christ. Really? And that's just an amazing number. Isn't, isn't that great? And we're on pace this year for that number and higher. So there are many little ones coming to Christ, as well as their families and their siblings that they're taking home and sharing Christ with. And so the number, again, people should continue to call is 888-886-8848, or they can also go to kcbi.org, couldn't they? Yes, there is a link on our website, kcbi.org. That'll take you to the Compassion website. And when you pull up their website, you're going to see the faces of these little children. And trust me, when you see their faces, 
you can't help but want to make a phone call, 888-886-8848. We just have a couple of minutes left before uh, we'll be saying goodbye to uh, Dave and Jocelyn. They'll be heading back uh, to uh, Colorado and uh, Tennessee. And so we want you to make a part, uh, be a part of this today. You can do this anytime on the website, but we want you to make uh, to be a part of this campaign for these two days of Days of Compassion, 888-886-8848. We really appreciate uh, all the listeners of KCBI uh, participating in this, and we hope that uh, the uh, folks at KCRN and KSYE will see this as an opportunity, don't we, Rob? Yes, we do. This is uh, we're on the network right now. You're mm-hmm. normally listening to Jerry Johnson live, and you still are listening to Jerry Johnson live. And the rest of the program uh, this, for this uh, coming hour will be continued on. Some great uh, stories that'll be uh, done, and uh, Penn is going to tell you about that in just a moment. But right now, before we uh, break away, we want you to call this number eight eight eight. 886-8848. We have volunteers that are just sitting doing nothing right now. They're tired. They've been here a long time, but they're ready to stay longer if you'll just call and sponsor one of these children. $32 a month is all it takes, and you will be blessed by that if you will pick up the phone right now. Rob, real quickly, one of the things that really separates compassion, I think, is uh, the relationship that you form with the child. It's not just throwing money at a problem. It really is forming a relationship. Your child will write you letters several times a year. You'll get to hear in their own words how your sponsorship is making a difference in their lives. You'll get to write letters back to them. Uh, Compassion is, uh, is, uh, really supports you in this. They'll send you the stationery. makes it very easy for you to be able to write letters to your child and encourage them and just be that voice of hope and encouragement and comfort in their lives. Yeah, and you know what the reality is, is when we think about ways that we've tried to address poverty, even here in our own country, and we try to fix the things around people, hoping that if things around them will be fixed, then they will be fixed and they will be changed. But it goes the other way around. It's when you change the individual from the inside out, bring them the hope of Christ, that then they begin to change their environment. Let's do that today and sponsor a child. Number one more time, 888-886-8848. Call right now. Jocelyn and Dave, thank you so much for being here and being a part of KCBI. Well, thank all the listeners that have called over the last two days to sponsor children. Over 300 children sponsored, and we uh, say God bless you and thank Mm -hmm. you. Thanks to everyone. Thank you, Penna, for allowing us a little bit of time here to uh, wrap up these Days of Compassion here on 90.9 KCBI. Back to you, Penna. Thank you, Rob, and thank you, Jocelyn and Dave. And again, let me give the number one more time. It's 888-886-8848 to sponsor a child through Compassion International. We hope that you will continue to call in. Also, uh, next segment, at least later in the program, we're going to ask the question, are there people sitting in our churches who are not really in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Southern Baptist Convention met this week. They really want to do something about that. We're going to get to that later in the program. Stay with us.
If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is coming out of the Courier-Journal from Louisville, Kentucky, and southern Indiana. And by the way, I was in Indianapolis uh, this week. And uh, I was at the Southern Baptist Convention. It's always so much fun to be there. There were over 7,000 registered messengers who represent uh, churches all over the United States and lots of other people there, too, at the convention, having a lot of fellowship and making some decisions. But this is what the news report of the Courier-Journal uh, reads. It reads this way. As with many Southern Baptist churches, the roles of Rich Pond Baptist Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky, have contained numerous names of people who hadn't participated in years and some who joined and soon became inactive. Beginning in January 2007, the church began requiring prospective members to meet with the pastor and attend membership classes. Since then, virtually all new members have remained involved. The church also has begun contacting inactive members, some of whom made official their decision long ago to stop attending. And as a result, membership dropped from about 1,200 to 1,050, according to a resolution approved yesterday by the Southern Baptist Convention. I was there when they did this. That's exactly what churches should be doing across the country. So how do you do that? What does this really look like, and why is this important? There's another article in the Christian Post. It says, Southern Baptists stress born-again membership over inflated numbers, saying that the number 16.2 million in the Southern Baptist Convention, according to a uh, survey that was done, is really only about 6 million, and churches need to be uh, sort of combing the roles of their churches churches and making sure people are saved. So is this a problem? Why did the Southern Baptists think this was important? And uh, what should be done about it? I mean, I can see that uh, some people might be, uh, in a sense, uh, turned away who could possibly become saved if they were really worked on. So it, it has to be done very carefully. And this was uh, sort of one of the admonitions made by the new president of the SBC who was elected, that if we're going to do this, it needs to be done carefully. Well, with us, actually not with us, but uh, Dr. Johnson had the opportunity to interview a pastor who's been uh, sort of pushing this effort for a long time. They did this interview at our booth, Chriswell Booth at the convention, and let's go now to that interview. My guest is Dr. Mark Dever. He's pastor of the Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He holds a research doctorate from Cambridge University. And um, Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jerry. It's always good to be with you. 
Mark, uh, we're expecting a resolution at this convention as a reaction really to last year's convention on regenerate church membership. How do you feel like this resolution intersects with your concerns over the last many years? You've been talking about the importance of church membership. Yeah. If we want to follow Jesus, part of what he tells us to do is in Matthew 18, where he says, if somebody offends us, we're not supposed to quote, just forgive, end of quote. We're supposed to actually take courage in our hands and love that other person and confront them on their sin. And if they won't repent, Jesus says, we're supposed to take two or three others. And if they still won't repent, Jesus says, we're supposed to take it to the church, the ecclesia is the Greek word. And then if they still won't repent, the ecclesia, the church, is supposed to speak to that one and put them out of their number if they still won't repent. Now, all of that is summed up in what we talk about with the language of church membership, where we say, yes, I am officially accountable to the leaders of this congregation and the other members. I'm going to respect what this ecclesia, this assembly, this church says. And therefore, if we call ourselves Christians, part of what we have to do is follow the teaching of Christ. And Christ is clear in Matthew 18 that this is part of what we need to do. And we can't do this without what you just called church membership. Let's talk a little more about the biblical concept of church membership. Where do you go in the New Testament to find out, you know, what membership means? It seems to me like in a Southern Baptist context, membership doesn't matter that much. We talk about 16 million members in our churches, but only 6 or 8 million are in church on Sunday. And the average Baptist church, uh, not yours, but the average Southern Baptist church may have 200 members and 80 showing up every Sunday. What do you make of that? Well, people, Baptists have forgotten what it means to be born again. Uh, They think that because they said a prayer when they were five, they're born again. Though their lives show no fruit of God's Holy Spirit that Paul mentions in Galatians 5 in them. And so our churches are full of people who don't know Jesus, and it's not surprised they're as carnal and divisive and repulsive to non-Christians as they are. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Dr. Mark Dever here at the Southern Baptist Convention. Dr. Dever, um, you have talked about the nine marks of a New Testament church. How does this connect with that overall theme? Well, in in that nine marks book that you're referring to, I was simply trying to lay out what the Bible says about the church. So if you're in a church, you want it to be marked by an adherence to God's Word. So I'm talking here with Jerry, who in my mind is one of my heroes for what he's done in the SBC over the years in trying to turn us around to, to, to be on the record with saying, yes, we think the Bible is true. And uh, even when I was over in England, I was praying specifically for you, though I'd never met you, because of some of the things you were doing, brother. But I think that though many of our churches have affirmed that formally, they clearly are not shaped by that. And so I'm here at the SBC Pastors Conference, and I've heard five Wesleyan messages. Now, I love my Wesleyan brothers and sisters in Christ, but I think they don't understand being born again very well, because then they talk about this second experience where their life really changes. And that's the kind of teaching that's just becoming endemic in our convention because people don't know the Bible very well. Baptists fought against this kind of teaching in the 18th century, in the 19th century. This is not a Calvinist Arminian thing. This is just Baptist kind of versus Methodist. Though we love our Methodist brothers and sisters, they were wrong on this point. And part of it comes because the Bible has not been well taught in our churches. And so one thing that I go around telling pastors forever, the most important thing they can do in their church is understand their Bible correctly and teach it correctly. 
That's what we need to have in our churches. Now, if we do, then our theology is going to begin to get aligned with Scripture. We're especially going to better come to understand the gospel. It's going to become more central. So I don't know in any of these five messages if I've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've heard about being broken and hard experiences and trusting God. All things I'd hear at Joel Osteen's church. But I don't know if I've heard anything that I would hear in a particularly Christian church. I don't know if I've heard about the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Our need to repent of our sins and trust in him. So that's the kind of stuff that we would be having in our churches if they were healthier because the Bible was being preached regularly. Then we would understand what conversion is. Then we would understand how we should evangelize. Maybe the way we've been evangelizing has been creating all these false converts that gives us this apparently large and apparently dying denomination instead of a denomination that's marked by real adherence to Scripture, the gospel really being preached, true conversions marking our churches. Let's talk about how people join churches today in the SBC. You know, in a lot of places in the South, uh, the invitation is, you know, come forward, give your hand to the pastor and your heart to Jesus and sign this card and you're in. Or if you're coming from another church, um, you just stand up at the end of the service, come forward, and everybody raises their hand and says amen. How do people join the Capitol Hill Baptist Church? They join the Capitol Hill Baptist Church the same way they did 100 years ago. Uh, they tell us they want to join. They have an interview with an elder or leaders in the church, or two or three of us. And then uh, it goes to our elders, and then it goes on to the congregational members meeting, which we have every other month after the evening service. So there will be two votes taken. Before they can even have an interview, they'll have attended a six- or seven-part membership class where they get our statement of faith, our church covenant, just basic Baptist stuff. So if they're making their original profession of faith, I mean, you hear their testimony of faith in Christ. Oh, yeah. An elder hears that testimony. The congregation would hear that testimony. And it's in a business conference or a membership meeting. Um, that's not happening across the SBC. Well, you know, when I first started reinstituting these interviews when I got to Capitol Hill in 95, or in 94, I, the, I first started doing this in January of 95. I happened, by God's grace, to find a copy of a membership interview form for our church from January of 1895. And I put it in our church messenger so people could see I got no new ideas. I'm doing what our great-grandparents did. It was so much better than the pragmatic crud that we're doing. It was much more attached to Scripture, and it's healthier for the church. And um, in terms of your membership and attendance, what's that ratio? Uh, our membership is 618 right now. Our attendance is probably seven or 800. 700 would be a lowish Sunday. 800 would be a highish Sunday. That's incredible, and that's biblical, and you're to be commended in that. I appreciate it so much. Actually, the most incredible part of it is that we have about 40 parking spaces. So, I mean, that's, that's the incredible part of it. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We're with Dr. Mark Dever. He's pastor of the Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Um, Mark, how bad do you think it's gotten in the SBC? Um, membership not mattering, this resolution? Do you think this is a sign that the SB is saying, well, I mean, there are a lot of debates, internal debates about the resolutions. There are several that have been forwarded this year. But are you encouraged at least that people are talking about this now? I'm hugely encouraged. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 16, the church is going to win. We need to stop running around like there's a crisis, like, oh, we won't reach this next generation. Oh, something much better than the SBC is about reaching this next generation. God, the Holy Spirit, is about reaching this next generation. We don't need to worry the church is about to die. The church is not going to die. Now, your congregation or my congregation may close down, but I don't know that that necessarily matters very much. The kingdom is going to be just fine. But I think that part of the way we're seeing God working is at least some people becoming more concerned about people who are members of the church being born again. 
and that's exciting. So which which resolution passes, I don't know, but I'm just so happy that Southern Baptist pastors are talking about this again. Well, it's good to hear a man who believes in Matthew 16. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Thank you, Mark Dever. Thanks, Jerry. Great to be with you. That was Dr. Johnson's interview with Mark Dever, and uh, he's the pastor of uh, Capital Baptist Church, Capitol Hill Baptist Church. He doesn't have too many parking spaces, and I know what it's like there. But, you know, I'm thinking this probably involves uh, several things, maintaining the roles that are as accurate as possible. You know, a lot of people move away or go to other churches and never get off the roles. Also, seeking out non-involved members and trying to draw them in and determining if people really have a relationship with Christ and leading them in that, in that direction if they don't, and also practicing church discipline. These are some of the things that I think will come from this. Well, next up, uh, we're going to kind of set our sights out to the state of California, where uh, the middle, middle of this month, same-sex marriages will begin, unless our next guest and his group are successful. We're going to talk with Steve Crampton of Liberty Council, why they'd like to stay these marriages for five months. listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure that you have not missed the story that uh, in the middle of May, the California Supreme Court uh, handed down a sort of a surprising ruling that says that their uh, state will begin or is required to begin marrying same-sex couples uh, because of something that they found in the state's constitution. Now, uh, there was already sort of an effort in that state to pass a constitutional amendment defining marriages between one man and one woman. There's also a law on the books that says marriages between one man and one woman. Uh, but this uh, constitutional amendment will not be voted on until November, and these marriages are set to begin the middle of this month. So what happens to these people in limbo? It could cause a big problem, and our next guest is going to talk about his attempt and his organization's attempt to try to stop these marriages from taking place, at least until the Californian voters, their citizens, can vote. And he is Steve Crampton. He is vice president for legal affairs for Liberty Council. Liberty Council today filed a petition to stay same-sex marriage licenses at the California Court of Appeal. Now, there was already a petition for stay that was denied. This one's a little bit different. We're going to talk to him about it. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having us. All right, Steve, uh, I so appreciate the work of Liberty Council, and you are acting today on behalf of a group in California that's really protecting uh, what the Californians have already placed in their law by a vote in 2000, correct? That is correct. Um, We also have, by the way, other grounds uh, that we've included in this motion, some of which we actually had not argued at the uh, California Supreme Court. You know, part of the problem is this thing is unfolding so quickly, it takes a little time to digest it all and figure out what all the ramifications are. Well, it sure does. And it's good that there are some new grounds since the stay was denied the first time. What are some of those other grounds? Well, for example, uh, the California Family Code contains numerous provisions that actually reference husband-wife or marriage in, in some other context that limits it to husband and wife. 
and yet the Supreme Court only dealt with two of those provisions. So, for instance, um, you have a situation now where Family Code Section 420 requires that when you undertake a marriage ceremony, the parties must recite that they take one another as both husband and wife. Um, well, obviously, if you're really two males, um, you get the short straw, I guess, to be wife and vice versa for women to be the husband. Um, there are provisions that uh, detail, for instance, uh, uh, the qualifications for consummating and um, into marriage that still says uh, one man unmarried, one woman unmarried. What happens to those provisions? You know, these are the kinds of things that legislatures when uh, appropriately given the task that uh, is theirs to begin with under separation of powers, uh, will take care to address. But here the court, in its haste, I think, to allow for June weddings among these same-sex activists, is just ignoring these kinds of uh, terrible details. Steve Crampton is with me. He's with Liberty Council. Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking back to the Vermont Civil Union decision yes. uh, when uh, they made the decision, but then the legislature actually passed legislation enabling the civil unions to start taking place. Isn't that that's the way it should exactly happen? Right. That's the model. I mean, if you're going to do it, it's bad enough that they did it at all over there, but at least they did it with some forethought. Moreover, in Massachusetts, unlike California, the law requires, this is an old statute that they tried to challenge and were unsuccessful after they enacted same-sex marriage, that says, hey, you have to be a resident for six months in Massachusetts before you can get married here. Well, California has no such requirement. That's why 12, no less than 12 state each general also weighed in, unsolicited, saying once this decision was announced, hey, we're not telling you what to do with the marriage laws in California, but please take your time because your haste is going to result in a deluge of litigation and problems and confusion in our states. And again, what does the court say? You know, sorry, we're not interested in what happens in your state. I think this is just the supreme definition of an activist court uh, because they're really, uh, they're just laying down the law. They're acting like a tyrant uh, in the situation. And Steve, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, that it's different than Massachusetts. This is very different because uh, this will spread across the country. And uh, so, you know, what if the uh, the citizens of California pass their marriage amendment, which right now the polls right. show they will do sort of narrowly, but they will pass it. Yes. Then what happens to these people, I mean, probably thousands and thousands of couples that marry, same-sex couples, between June and November. Exactly. Um, and look, that's a question that the California Supreme Court refused to address so far. That's going to be a, a terrible problem in the state of California, where the citizens, I'm with you, I think they will vote to return it to one man, one woman. Uh, and so their will will be overridden even if the court allows these marriages to stand after that amendment becomes law. But then again, they're exporting this problem into all, theoretically at least, all other uh, states in the Union. So the problems are, uh, are legion, and the results are probably going to be inconsistent. It may be that if you return to Rhode Island, you remain married. But if you return to Tennessee, you don't. I mean, what a disaster. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you have questions about this issue, if you'd like to ask uh, our expert attorney um, that's with us, Steve Crampton of Liberty Council, give us a call right now, 800-881-9270. We're going to kind of keep this discussion going even into the next segment because I think it's got a lot of emotions running high. And Steve, you know, we're in Texas and also we broadcast in Oklahoma. So if you're in Texas and you have a constitutional amendment, defining marriage, then are you safe from these couples coming to your state and demanding their marriages be recognized? Well, I, I just wish I could say, you bet you are. But uh, I, I will say, <clears throat> don't be so sure. You all have a great state amendment. I think, uh, you know, you've done all you can do. But bear in mind that here's another of these many twists that I don't think the Supreme Court really contemplated when they made this decision. What California had before this, as you probably know, is kind of full-blown domestic partnerships. All the rights of marriage, basically. All the rights of marriage. And so it's one thing, and the opinion specifically addressed, okay, if you're a domestic partner and you want to get married, that's fine. You can marry your domestic partner. And then the uh, uh, state attorney general and others have said, you don't even have to dissolve your domestic partnership. That's fine. But because they had a domestic partnership model, not a civil union model, California law makes no mention of civil unions. So if a cup comes from, say, Vermont with a civil union, comes into California, guess what? They don't have to marry one another. They could marry somebody different. You're kidding. So theoretically, you end up with, um, I've just diagrammed out, different individuals that end up being hooked in in some form or fashion, civil union or marriage. Community property states and uh, laws apply in California, maybe not in Texas, maybe maybe not in other states. But so real property in owned in Texas, after these kinds of really polygamous unions are uh, effectuated after this law, can throw this matter into property disputes. Well, in a in a low-level court addressing a property issue, it may well be that the court recognizes marriage in California for purposes of dividing property. Wow. Okay, we've got some calls coming in, Steve, and I want to take one from Joe in Dallas. Joe, you are on with uh, Steve Crampton. Yeah, uh, Steve, I'd I'd like to know why we cannot... uh, File impeachment charges against these activist judges at uh, that legislate from the bench, rather than put up with their nonsense uh, legislation from the bench. You know that's a fine question, and in fact, um, it be something that we want to consider in the rest of our states uh, in modifying laws that will put some uh, bits in the mouths of these judges. As a matter of fact, in California. There is research and uh, work being done on that very question. But the problem is, uh, you know, judges are supposed to be uh, sort of above the law in the sense that they, they are not um, subject to the whims and caprices of, of others. And consequently, we have a system in our country where it is very, very difficult to get your hands, so to speak, on a sitting judge that acts in his judicial capacity, issuing a ruling like this. So they're virtually immune from uh, repercussions. But there are elections also for many judges, and in California, in fact, they sit for retention elections. 
And the uh, odds are that the Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court has issued this opinion knowing full well he's going to retire anyway. Hmm. But, you know, we need to vote him out when they do things like this, if we have that option. And I think, you know, following this kind of uh, line of thought is not out of the question here. Unfortunately, there'll be havoc wrecked on uh, not only California, but uh, possibly other states. Uh, one more question, Steve, and that is, when do you expect to hear the decision on the stay that you filed today? Well, here's the problem. And, you know, the decision will become law. We all turn into pumpkins at the close of business on Monday, June 16th. Mm-hmm. So if the Court of Appeal is going to entertain this thing, it should act tomorrow or at some point fairly early on during the day on Monday. Otherwise, it's almost a moot point. Well, we'll keep our ears open. And, Steve, I just want to say thank you because you're really uh, holding the line there. And uh, we appreciate the work of Liberty Council and, and you being with us today. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, continue to call in 800-881-9270. What would would it be like for you? How would you feel if they started marrying in uh, your state? What about these marriages in California? I mean, it's a beautiful state. People are going to be going out there to get married, going back to their home states, knocking on the door and trying to get those marriages uh, recognized. Do you think... uh, this is good for the country. What should we do about it? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Today is a tragic day for scouting. We want to express our deepest sympathies to the families and to all those affected by this tragedy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are taking your calls, 800-881-9270 on same-sex marriage in California and uh, possibly beyond. But that uh, was Lloyd Reutstein, and uh, he is a Boy Scouts representative, and he's talking about the tornado that struck a Boy Scout camp in Iowa, killing four campers, injuring dozens. It's really heartbreaking. It's usually the Boy Scouts who are helping people in disasters, but they've experienced this. And Iowa Governor uh, Chet Culver said the Boy Scouts and their adult leaders actually did use their training very effectively to prevent things from being even worse. They uh, were the real heroes, these young men, uh, these camp uh, directors and uh, these youth counselors and others uh, that literally saved uh, lives. Of course, this camp was destroyed by the tornado, and one of the Boy Scouts there, Ethan Hassan, said they prayed for their lives. I was under the table with my friends, and 
I just remember looking over at my friend and all of a sudden he just says to me, dear God, save us. Bless their hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, the weather has uh, really been wrecking havoc up there in uh, that part of the country. And uh, we need to be praying for these folks and for the families of these scouts that were killed and the ones that were injured. But we are talking about the California decision Uh, really threatening marriage nationwide, even though it's only for that state. And Governor Schwarzenegger, you know, he was happy. He actually was wishing these same-sex couples well, and he joked that he was hoping for a tourist boom from all the gays coming to his state to get married. Well, that's not so far-fetched. It's really the plans are being made for exactly that to happen beginning June 16th. Now, Tony Perkins, who's president of the Family Research Council, said uh, he's not so sanguine about this. He says the real booming that you will hear is the destruction of our nation's laws protecting the institution of marriage. And that's why we are very concerned about this. Let's go now to the calls. Gayla is in Ennis. Gayla, thanks for calling in. Hi, Pana. I want to say I love the show. Thank you. My suggestion is, why can't we just kick these states out of the union uh, that uh, that approve these same-sex marriages? Just put fences around them so they can't cross into our borders and just kick them out of our state, hmm. our union. Well, you know, it's usually the states on the coast. I mean, there's still threats in Connecticut and New Jersey. And in New York, the governor said uh, that even though they've already had a court ruling that says their state will not allow same-sex marriage, but they will recognize the marriages from other states. He's, this governor has said that. I don't know how long that's going to stand or last, but I don't want to kick the states out. I can't do it anyway. I grew up in California. My family's all there. What I am sad about is that uh, my nieces and nephews are of marriage age, and you know they'll be getting married probably in the next few years, along with the homosexual couples, if this stands. Let's go now to Garland and speak with Yvonne. Yvonne, thanks for calling. Hi, Penna. I enjoy your show, and thank you for having me. I just want to say that God designed marriage between a man and a woman, and it just saddens my heart to see the state that our country is going to. Uh, we have Our country was built on Christian foundation, and it just makes me wonder what it's going to be like when my grandchild is of an adult. And I just think that it's just a shame that we are contemplating this issue of same-sex marriages. I don't think we should have an issue about it at all. I just don't think it's right, and I don't think it should be allowed. You know, even using the word marriage uh, to describe these unions really is uh, not correct. I mean, that's not what the word means, and it's being redefined, but sometimes words are redefined, and they're starting to be successful in doing so. You know, there are several losers uh, from uh, the rise of same-sex marriage. One of them is the family, and we've seen this in Europe, where when they've redefined marriage, the family structure is weakened, and guess who gets to come in and pick up the pieces? It's the government and the taxpayers. We subsidize the fallout from the disintegration of the family. And so the government becomes the mommy and the daddy, in a sense. Democracy also loses because same-sex marriage, of course, will be coming to California and beyond, not because people have voted it in, but because of a court decree. 
and not the legislature even in California. So uh, in a sense, even if these marriages start in California and are aborted in November by a vote of the people, you're already going to have these married couples, and that is undemocratic. And then another loser, of course, is the church and free exercise of religion, because you just watch. Churches that refuse to marry same-sex couples in California or wherever, or even that preach that homosexuality is immoral, will begin losing tax-exempt status or worse. And another thing that's happening, and there's already been an effort in Congress to force religious big uh, business owners to hire and retain gays. You'll see it in the educational system, where uh, even already in Massachusetts, they're teaching that same-sex parents are just on a par, same same type of family as uh, opposite-sex parents. And you can't teach that there's any different in the schools there. Let's go to Chris in Dallas. Chris, thanks for calling in. Yeah, I got a question. What exactly is the difference between civil unions and marriages in the sense of what, what are the different rights? And uh, is within the state of Texas, or if you can comment on that, uh, what, uh, what, what does a civil union do? Are, are we allowed to have civil unions here in this state for same-sex couples? Thanks. Not in Texas. Uh, in Texas, we passed a constitutional amendment uh, defining marriages between one man and one woman. And uh, we also, in that same effort passed uh, really a prohibition against civil unions between homosexual couples. A civil union is basically all or most of the rights of marriage being given to same-sex couples. They register this union. They do it in Vermont and a couple of other places. Uh, There's also something called domestic partnerships, which is pretty close to the same thing, and it's really the same benefits. For instance, you could get your your same-sex partner's Social Security benefits when they die. Uh, They say that it's hospital visitation rights, but there are a lot of things that can be actually put into a legal document. If you want a same-sex partner to inherit your estate, then you just put them in your will. You don't need to change the laws about marriage or the laws about same-sex couples to get those things. And it's really uh, a few homosexual activists foisting their will on the entire nation because they want certain benefits. But what they're doing is ripping something good out from under the fabric of the culture, and in a sense, uh, it's a selfish agenda, and I hate to say it, but it is. Let's go now to Valerie and Anna. Valerie, thanks for calling. Hi. I, um, I've i been listening to the issues now for a week, and I have a hard time with the fact that we're spending so much time on the same-sex marriages when God has told us as Christians to be equally yoked, and I don't hear... Um, or even even heard in our churches too much anymore, uh, that we need to be helping our younger generation. Being equally yoked with someone of like faith. And that is very important, and that's what we should be spending our time on. Unfortunately, we have these other issues plaguing us. And the Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, they shall be one flesh. We're talking about husband and wife, male and female. Join us tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.